Welcome, friends, to the next episode of Life's a Blank, where we talk with real people about real life and living that life with their own truth and not letting anyone steal their thunder. The last couple episodes, we've talked about international travel, globalization, how leadership is unfamiliar. We've talked about infertility. And by no means uh, is this episode going to be any different or any less touching. In fact, today we're talking about the storms of life and how they hit us and the rainbows that come after it. The episode being titled Rainbow After the Storm for a song that you will hear at the end of the show, as is our tradition. Storms of life. That, that's a really big question, a really big thing to think about. Um, I'm running behind on even getting this episode out because the storms of my own life have kind of overwhelmed me in, and, and stopped me in their place. Truthfully, the last couple weeks I've been feeling really down, really, uh, I, I, I leery, I'm leery to say the word actually that I've been depressed because people have this misnomer idea that depression is something the only way you can treat it is with drugs. And I don't have a chemical imbalance. I've been checked for that years gone by because my dad had a chemical imbalance. But I have been feeling down. I've been feeling lost. I've been feeling as though the world was passing me by, so to speak. And, and with recent news happening where people have committed suicide, famous people, too, back-to-back, two days in a row, people in the same field, even. I, I honestly don't know who they are, but they made big splash in the media, and a lot of people do know who they are. With this being a, a newer trend happening out there, and the recognition that there are things people are going through that we don't see. We don't see what's going on inside someone's head when they smile at us. We see the smile. And we take for granted that that smile represents something happy. Now, when I smile, I am happy and I am smiling, but that doesn't mean I'm not hurting inside. There's so many more emotions that a person has that it's not just what's on the face. A smile can be real even if a person is falling apart inside. And that's, that's the interesting fact about human nature that we are more than just one thing and we're more than just the sum of our parts. We have so many vast different compartmentalized aspects to ourselves that it's just this amazing creature that human beings are. As for me, I have a feeling where my frustration and my depression, I guess we'll go ahead and say that my, my feelings of overwhelming and dread are coming from a place where I'm feeling very much alone. My storm right now is this burden. I feel that I, I'm not keeping up or not reaching my goals the way I want to. Some of those things include infertility that we, like we talked about a few weeks ago, I want to be a mom. I've wanted to be a mom since I was a little girl. It's it's the only thing besides writing that I've ever wanted to do my entire life was be a mom. As I'm reaching higher ages, I'm 42 now, as I keep getting older and each year and each month goes by, 
I'm cognizant of the fact that it will be harder and harder to become a mom in the traditional way with a child of my own, which honestly, I do want a child of my own. I also want a partner, some wonderful man who will take care of me as much as I take care of him. I've spent my entire life taking care of everyone else. And yes, yes, I know when you're a mom, you end up taking care of your kid, but it's it's not the same. I mean, I've taken care of everyone else. I'm always making sure everyone else is okay. I'm the one that instigates most communications with friends and family for the most part. That doesn't mean I don't have amazing friends. I absolutely do. I have some pretty decent family as well who, who are, are there for me when I need them. Um... But I feel as though sometimes, at least, I feel like I'm taking the lead when I need sometimes other people to take the lead. I need to feel like I'm not the only one in the relationship all the time. And, and I'm not saying this happens all the time. We all have busy lives, and sometimes it just so seems that a bunch of my friends at one time have got lots going on and they've got their lives and I understand that and I respect that and this is the nature of being alone in the world or feeling like I'm alone in the world I'm sitting alone in my apartment which is where I live all by myself that's okay there's no shame in living alone in fact some people do it by choice it wasn't my choice my ex-husband left me two years a little over two years ago now um and he made that choice for us. <laughs> That's totally fine that he did because, quite frankly, the marriage wasn't working anyway, no matter how much I put into it. That's for another day. But this depression, this feeling of dread, it also comes from other aspects. You know, as a teacher, I watch my students do amazing things and, and excel in their careers. And I'm still not to the place where I want to be. And in part, that's part of why this uh, podcast is so important to me. But it, it's also more about sharing my knowledge and sharing the knowledge of our guests. It's not just about my knowledge. It's about the guests I bring on. And the storms we live, the storms that overshadow us, they bring a rain and they bring a thunder and they bring so much with them. But we get through it. And when we get to the other side, there are rainbows and sunlight and new understanding of the world. So the storms we live in, well, they... They give us new life, ultimately. And whether we're talking about my childhood abuse or we're talking about uh, my constant state of financial strife that I'm working desperately to get out of or we're talking about the end of my marriage that may have been somewhat abusive in and of itself, uh, it doesn't really matter. What matters is... That when you get through the storm, even if you feel in that storm that you don't have anything to contribute to the world, the reality is we all have something to contribute to the world. Every single person on the planet has something to contribute to the world. That's a good thing. 
I, I'm remembering, well, this episode was supposed to just be about cancer survivors. And in fact, two of our, our two guests later, um, they, one of them survived cancer herself. And she's the singer of the song you'll hear at the end, Rainbows After the Storm. And the other, uh, her mother passed away a couple years ago from cancer. But in talking to her, there were so many other storms that she survived. It made me realize that this isn't just about cancer. Cancer is at the center, and cancer is a big deal. But the storms of our life are bigger than just the one kind of storm that these, uh, that these folks faced. The storms of our life go deeper. And I'm going to share with you a poem I wrote last, uh, uh, two years ago almost. Uh, it's called The Nightmare. And it's, it's, a, it's a poem I wrote because I was trying to move past the fact that my ex had left and trying to move on with dating new people and, and exploring that world. It's, and, and so being called The Nightmare, it, it was about the the darkness I was in and about a storm I was in. And I was in a storm at that point. Actually, at that point, it was written in August of 2016. And at that point, I was coming out of the storm. The storm was really bad during the summer, after right after he left. And I was coming out of the storm and, and starting to date and was inspired to really reflect on the pain I'd been under. The, I, I hadn't been in a storm at all until very recently. And I think... Um, nothing against my friends who just had babies, but a few friends that have just recently become moms, friends that had been working towards it and it, and they're later in life parents themselves, like I will end up being. And while I'm happy for them and I love them and I'm so excited, you have no idea. I think that was the trigger that brought on some of the sadness along with the fact that the gentleman I was interested in who I thought was interested in me too, made it very clear he's not. And so all of these things coupled together, feeling alone, feeling like I'm never going to be a parent, even though the, the future is unknown, I just felt like the nightmare was coming back. So let me share this poem with you and then I'll, I'll, we'll take a break and then we'll come back to our guests. So uh, the nightmare uh, written in August of 2016 the soul battles, longing for freedom from the horrors that bound it. Yet the nightmare lingers, even as joy seems just within reach. Haunted by memories no child should know, scarred by hate and ugliness, held paralyzed by emotions, lost in the weight of the rain. No rainbow in sight, a once and future prisoner captive to the promises made in love and duty. The nightmare scoffs at the loyalty given freely to those which give not. Moments stolen by someone else's power. A legacy persists that isn't deserved, but hate remains not. For even just a glimmer of hate locks chains around the soul, hindering movement and purpose and denies the future its rightful place. A destiny of revelation shines the path with lightning ever bright. A journey of healing traverses step by step, choice by choice. Only the thunderstorms of life offer comfort, serving as a reminder that good remains. Choice, the weapon of need, and words, the tellers of stories. Forgiveness is the key, released into hope as an unknown freedom awaits, shedding the nightmare of its power 
and the memory of its pain. I think of this poem as a journey, a journey through the storm, through the storm of our lives. And for our guests today, the nightmare of their life, their storms, centered in part around cancer, but also there was so much more to them. Our first guest, Valerie Jean, I've known her a long time, and her positive attitude, even in the darkest of times, is infectious, quite frankly. And our next guest, Keisha, she struggles. She's still struggling through her storm, having lost her mother two years ago. But she's working hard to get there. And so I had conversations with these two women dealing with different aspects of the same storm of cancer. But their stories are so much bigger than that. So right after the break, we will enter, we will come back, and we will listen to Valerie Jean and our conversation. And then we'll have another break and go right into Keisha's interview. And then we'll come, I'll come back with concluding remarks before I close out the episode. So stay tuned right after the bank. Are you overwhelmed even before you start your day? Even worse, is it a pattern? If you really want to change now, go to awesomeangie.com and learn how to start your day focused and end your day feeling accomplished. Go to awesomeangie.com and give yourself that gift of focus. Go to awesomeangie.com and get focused today because she honors the awesomeness in you. Questions about identity? Send them to the Identity Guru at asktheexpert at theidentityguru.net. Maybe, just maybe, we'll answer the question on the air. Hi, friends. We're back again with Valerie Jean. Now, background, this, this wonderful woman I have known since junior high when she sang at our junior high graduation. And I absolutely loved her music then. And the song, the episode this time is titled after her song. So Valerie, would you tell everybody what the song is about and the name of it? I'd rather have you share it than me. (laughs) Oh, sure. Well, first of all, thank you, Bonnie Jean, for having me on today. And it's so great to speak with you today. Um, Yeah, to share a little bit about the song. Um, The song is entitled Rainbow After the Storm. And it was written by amazing songwriters Michelle McCammond and Milada Bide. And um, the song was really um, in light of my uh, battle with breast cancer. And, um, and so I am currently now, I am approaching three years cancer-free as of June 3rd. And so, Woo-hoo! yes, so very excited about that. <laughs> Well, I'm so, looking at the calendar. Um, I, I can air this on June third. Oh, that would be that would be fantastic. <laughs> Everything works out. For, <laughs> I know, right? So that's a, that's a Sunday. <laughs> fantastic. So now I I know you know we haven't talked in a long time, but we've I mean we've chatted on Facebook and in messages, but we haven't talked. And I know I've been reading that it was a real struggle, you know, to face that. Um, 
what's it like to get that diagnose, diagnosis when you're sitting in the doctor's office, you, you found that lump or however brought you in, you've had the mammogram, all the tests have come back and the doctor's looking at you and telling you, yes, it's breast cancer. How, how did that feel, if you don't mind talking about that? Oh, my goodness. Well, um, <laughs> to start off, I was only 39 years old, and typically you don't get a mammogram until you're 40. And so um, it felt something unusual, and uh, my husband encouraged me to go see the doctor. And then the doctor, after the exam, hugged me three times, and things moved pretty quickly as far as um, the testings and whatnot. And... Um, did an ultrasound, a mammogram, and it just, you know, it it was pretty shocking. Um, that, um, but they had to do some further testing. So my final diagnosis is December second. But um, I had um, prior to that, they did the ultrasound and the mammogram, and I lit up the screen with cancer. So. Mm-hmm. I kind of knew that day, even though I didn't have the final uh, biopsy in. Um, so anyway, um, that's a day that I really remember it hitting me even before that final diagnosis because it was pretty much there and they and they could see it on the screen. Um, I was absolutely heartbroken. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. I was in shock. Um, and I wasn't sure what to expect. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. And um, if it turns out that I did have a very, um, a very um, difficult uh, cancer. I have, um, I'm HER2 positive, which is a very aggressive form of cancer. It's like the lights are always on and the cancer's basically coming after you to kill you. Um, and I'm also um, estrogen uh, estrogen receptor or positive. Um, so I also have um, my body. Estrogen is not good for me. So mm. they've shut all that down. <laughs> but um, yeah, to answer your question, as it's all that can run through my mind is like, how am I going to tell my nine-year-old this? And I wasn't sure if I was going to be here. So a lot of um, shock, fear, and I remember my family and I just holding each other tight, just crying in the kitchen. And it was a very sad and scary time, for sure. And in December, so that's right before Christmas. So you've got to go into this holiday that's supposed to be all about happy and joy, joy. And you've just got the news that you may not make it, you know, another year. Yes. (laughs) Bonnie, I remember... Um, something so specific in my mind. Well, to backtrack a little bit, so I found out a couple days before Thanksgiving, but then because it was the holidays, there was all these breaks, like trying to get in and get that, um, some of these Mm. final pieces for the diagnosis. So I was, yeah, I was diagnosed December 2nd, but um, I remember how to do a CT scan and they were looking to see if there were cancer and other Uh, parts of my body, I did have it in my lymph nodes, but um, Mm. I remember laying on the CT scan and there were like Christmas decorations hanging and I, and they were playing, um, they were playing instrumental version of have yourself a merry little Christmas. 
And being a singer, you know, I knew all the words. And I remember laying there, and this was one of those tests would determine how bad off I was. And, you know, I was thinking about the line in the song, through the years, we will all be together if the fates allow. And I remember just praying to God, say, please, God, you know, let me live. Um, I want to be here to watch my daughter grow. And, you know, what? I'm not ready. <laughs> and so <laughs> just not ready. <laughs> and um, so um, I did get the, they were kind enough to call me back um, later that evening. And I found out um, it had not spread to other parts of my body other than that it was in my lymph nodes. Um, so I ended up being a, a stage three, which is considered advanced cancer, mm-hmm. but it's not a stage four. Um, so there are some differences there. But, boy, yeah, Christmas time, that was not exactly what yes. <laughs> what yeah. I was expecting. No. So <laughs> no. it was with stage three, what kind of odds were they giving you? Or they said, you know, because I know with stage four, it's pretty much, you know, a given you're probably going to die. It's just a matter of how long. But with stage three, there's hope. But, you know, I, I mean, what kind of hope did they give you? What did they even give you odds? Well, um, they just basically set out a, a treatment plan for me. And um, as far as to my understanding with the stage three and a stage four, stage four, um, I believe means that you will always be in treatment. Um, but I'm not, I'm not as educated on, on that. Um, so I don't really want to speak so much right. on what, is, what it means to be a stage four. I have known many women that have battled a stage four and are still battling and they're Yay. amazing <laughs> women. But, um, but being the stage three, um, what they presented to me was I, I basically had a year and two months of chemo. So I did um, 15 rounds of really hard chemo. Um, and then moving into um, the, then after that, then I did a drug called um, Herceptin, and that was to treat my HER2 positive. That that went all the way into um February of the next year, so it was a long, a long time being on chemo. Um, yeah, and then I had um, a double mastectomy, and I had 13 lymph nodes removed, start of reconstruction, and then I did uh, 33 treatments of uh, radiation, and I, no. and on and on. It was a long, long road. <laughs> Now, as a woman, you know, our breasts are a really big deal. You know, they, they are the sustenance of life. They are the epitome of what men lust after. And, well, in some women, I mean, people lust after them. So, but for women, they, they tend to be seen as like the center of our existence. How did it feel to be faced, I mean, it sounds like it was a no-brainer to, well, I got to get have this double mastectomy, but uh, how did it feel to lose that part of you that was, that's so ingrained in our culture as being so important? It's very emotionally painful, um, and, but when faced with it, um, I 
pretty much was like, well, it's my breast or my life. It's, I'm either going to be here or I'm not. And they're, they're not, um, even though it is emotionally hard um, to have gone through that, um, I, I tell myself, you know, when I get down, it's like, well, I'm still here, you know. And, um, but it does, breast cancer definitely does challenge your, your womanhood in many ways. And it's definitely been a battle coming back from that emotionally. Um, but I, I do believe in my heart that, you know, who I am as a woman is so much more than, you know, what society tells us a woman is supposed to be <laughs> but it's definitely not always easy <laughs> that's for sure I agree a hundred percent and the only reason I ask that is you know we're talking about you know this whole show is about identity so coming through something like that it shapes your identity and when society tells you your identity is supposed to be one thing and then you have this thing that is going to be no longer part of your identity it's it, it's difficult. So how have you, you've changed, obviously. I mean, you, I mean, you still have an amazing voice. You're still, you know, a strong mother, a strong Christian, a strong wife, all of that. But you, you come through this storm, thus the song. Uh, how mm-hmm. have you, how has your identity and the foundation of who you are changed because of the storm? Oh, I, I honestly am a completely different person. I really am. I've changed quite dramatically um when you're faced with losing your life um it's funny how the things that were important to you <laughs> some of them you go why why did i put so much emphasis on that in my life and what really matters is the people in your life the people that you want to be with and um i spent a lot of time traveling and pursuing a music career which I still love and I'm still pursuing, and, but it's just trying to find more of a, a balance in my life and definitely um, pouring myself into my, my daughter, and I always did, but it's just all the more just like my relationships with people um, and trying to prioritize because I'd always be so super busy before, and sometimes now after cancer, I just kind of, I get tired um, or easily, um, I don't have the same energy sometimes. Um, but I definitely also would say my relationship with God has only become stronger. I mean, because he literally brought me through this storm, this, I, I don't feel I could have done it without him. And even still, you know, processing all that's happened to me and I value life. Um, even on a greater level, I would say, because when I go, when I go to do things, um, I realize that every little thing is actually a big thing. I say to myself, I get to still be here right now. So going to like my, you know, have my daughter's school choir concert coming up, I mean, or her talent show or, you know, just having time to go out with my friends or hang out with my mom or, a date, you know, with my husband or something, all these things, I mean, just, or just even going outside and just, you know, the, the breeze hitting your face and just saying, wow, I'm still here instead of rushing, rushing all the time and not really 
appreciating the value of each moment. So it has definitely changed me. Do you think, um, you know, because I, I, I have heard that the HER2 gene is hereditary. Do you think you want want your daughter to get tested and know ahead of time that it could come, that her likelihood I'm choke it up a little because this is a beautiful story. Um, do you think you'd want your daughter to know ahead of time or do you think you'd want her to live her life and, and just be that? I mean, I know it's a constant debate about whether people do um, do that or not, you know, get the test to know ahead of time. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? If it's even recommended for your daughter. Okay. So I have a, um, a test it's a, a BRCA gene test and it, right. can, it can tell like the test is um very telling as to whether or not you know something like this would be passed on to my daughter and fortunately it came back um that i do not have the BRCA gene there's many different strains of of breast cancer and right. so for faith that was very good news um that I do not have the BRCA gene. The um, HER2 positive, there's still so much more than I'm even learning about it now. Right. But um, I think to answer your question, um, for my daughter Faith, I definitely want her to be tested at a younger age. I think um, I think a lot of what's a problem um, with I'm, there's more and more women that are young. I know I I know of someone who's 21 years old right now fighting breast cancer. You know, a 30 year old fighting breast cancer, and oftentimes uh, people think that it's something that you're you know someone older would get, and which they mm-hmm. they do. But I also feel there needs to be more testing for younger women um, because if if you know you catch it earlier before it becomes advanced um it definitely um gives you a better outcome and oftentimes young women are not looking um at that age you know and they don't even have a mammogram covered by insurance until you're 40 so right yeah so i definitely think uh having having my daughter for sure um with a family history to be tested absolutely well, the good news is insurance is will, insurance will cover it earlier if you have a family history. So yes, um, that I, is I true. learned. Yeah, because my mom my mom had a uh, partial mastectomy when I was like eleven, um, and it, it did it turned out that it wasn't yet metastasized as cancer, but they mm-hmm. needed it needed to be removed because it was the kind that could become cancer if left. So like not even stage one so they caught it early and but because that history was there when I I had a breast reduction uh, gosh now almost 18 years ago and so right after as part of it they do a a mammogram to get a to get a baseline but when I hit Mm -hmm. 30 they were like yeah because your mother had that and because of the all of this we're going to have you get a uh, you know a mammogram now like, but I'm not even 40 yet. And they're like, no, but you need to do it now. And every, and, and at that age, every like four years. So 
So I'm now 42 and I've had like four mammograms in my life. And people are like, yes, why have you had so many? <laughs> and that's great too because it's so important. And then I also, I really do like the the ultrasound. I think that's also a great, great way to detect. And I, I tell everyone that I come in contact with has any questions. It's like, if you feel something, it seems off, do not wait. Do not yeah. feel like, oh, I'm being a hypochondriac. You know, th- this is nothing because it could absolutely save your life. And well, whether you're young or older, if something seems off, it is your body and you have to push forward to to receive the, the help that you need. I, I, I didn't have anybody in my family who had breast cancer. So it was out of left field. It was right. really quite shocking that this happened but yeah <laughs> so. well you you do have a voice of an angel I have always thought that I mean it was oh, one of thank the you. shining joys of my youth to uh, I've been blessed with a lot of really great singers in my life so I I, I find that so wonderful um, but do you think how, has that part of your identity being a singer helped you through and helped you like have a positive attitude um, as you were going through, you know, 14 months of chemo and drugs and, and that tearing down of your body as it, so it can rebuild itself? Honestly, I, you know, what, what really helped me was because I didn't have a lot of energy a lot of times, but was like worship music. I remember I'd be sitting in the, the chemo lab and I'd put my earphones on and I would listen to like uh, certain uh, singers I like, like Lauren Daigle and Carrie Job and um, they're Christian singers and the, her music just absolutely like touched my heart and I felt this peace and comfort of God that came over me. And so I definitely think through music and through you know, through God speaking through these beautiful voices, I felt like directly to my heart. Um, it did. It gave me strength. And um, it was like, it literally like was like a blanket of comfort to me. Um, music's always kind of been my way. You know, whenever I feel sad or down, you know, it's like I plug in my microphone and start singing. And I'm like, okay. I'm feeling better. <laughs> wow. So it's really true. Just did that today, actually. <laughs> so well, music is everything for me as well. I mean, that's why I decided to name every episode of my podcast after a song. So it's it's kind of fitting. And, and same with my memoir. Every chapter was a name of a song. So it's music is everything to me. So for my listeners who hopefully music is everything to them as well, uh, how do you, uh, how would they find you if they want to check out more of your music? Because after the break, we're going to, I'm going to close with your song, but how would they find you? Okay. So I'm, I'm on, um, you can purchase my new single. Um, it is on Amazon and iTunes and it's Valerie Jean. And J-E-A-N-N-E, Valerie Jean. And the song is called Rainbow After the Storm. Um, is my new single. And then I'm also um, on an album called Together. 
and that and I sing a song on there called Believe and um it's it's uh, many different um amazing singers and um songwriters and musicians are are on this album it's called you can go to togethercd.com and um it benefits the union gospel mission which okay. um helps our homeless at 100% so oh. pretty so so um blessed to be able to be a part of something so amazing like that but yeah so that's um some of my music that's out there It's kind of fitting you you brought up homelessness because that's going to be one of my future episodes after yours, maybe even the next episode after. So um, I'm working on setting up an interview with someone who works in that field right now. So that's another issue to tackle. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) I know. I I, I go with the big issues, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, that is definitely there. I just know even in... In our city, I mean, we're seeing such an increase of homelessness, and um, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that well, you're able to to bring to light, you know, and talk to to people and inform people a little more about that. So, well, I I I know you have to get out of here in a minute or two, so I just want to thank you for talking honestly about this impact and this journey on your identity. And I look forward to hearing more music from you and keeping in touch. And, you know, maybe we'll talk again. Uh, but for now, I, I just want to thank you very much for being on with us. Oh, thank you so much, Bonnie Jean. And it was wonderful speaking with you today. And, and my friends listening, um, stay just for a moment. We will be right back. It's your identity. It's your brand. How are you making your bold statement? Contact the identity guru, Bonnie Jean Alfred, today to make your bold statement through creative coaching, writing, editing, and keynote presentations. Visit either alfredenterprises.net or theidentityguru.net or simply call 630-752-9434. Again, that's alfredenterprises.net or theidentityguru.net or simply call 630-752-9434. Step into your bold future right now. Do you like to laugh? Do you like to witness the unexpected? Then Maddie Boy's Fan the Flame improv show will fill the bill for you. Maddie Boy and his cast perform family-friendly, audience-inspired improvisation aimed at fun for all ages. Tickets are just $16.00. Performances Friday, July 6th and Saturday, July 7th at 6.30 p.m. Location Center Stage, 1665 Quincy Avenue, Suite 131 in Naperville, Illinois. For tickets, visit www.brownpapertickets.com slash event slash 3491476. That is www.brownpaperticketscom slash event slash 3491476 brownpapertickets.com slash event slash 3491476 we hope to see you out there so that you can help us 
Fan the flame. Welcome, friends. I, we are here with Keisha. Keisha was referred to me from a past student, interestingly enough, and a few years ago her mother passed away from cancer. And since we're talking about cancer today, I, and we talked to another guest about being a mother and having cancer, this is a different juxtaposition of the, of the, of the storm of cancer. So, Keisha, welcome with us today, and I appreciate your willingness to hopefully talk about your mom, <laughs> but to, before, we get, before we get there, tell us a little bit about who you are in the world. Well, um, my name is Keisha, and I am a mother of four. I've been married, oh gosh, 20-some years now, and literally my world is my kids and my husband, and um, I have a 21-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 17-year-old, and a 12-year-old. Um, I also have an angel who would have been 29 this year. So I have an angel in heaven and Hmm. pretty much is the reason why I am the mother that I am to my kids. Like I literally just got done working yesterday night and worked a soccer game to pay for my kids' marching dues, you know, the eight-hour job and then the mom job. So um, those are the kind of things I do. You will find me – Working a football game or at a practice with my kids. My kids do color guard, which is um, a whole bunch of rifles, flags, and sabers. And my two oldest kids are currently in drum corps. And so um, that's pretty much how my world rocks is with my kids and my husband. He's an over-the-road truck driver. Um, been married 21 years and um, together 23 and that's how Keisha's world is. And my family, you know, just um, making sure they're all good. <laughs> and somehow find myself in that mix somewhere. Because I'm still trying to figure out my standalone position, but I like where I am right now. Yeah, and, and finding out who we are is a really big part of life. I mean, that's part of what this show is all about is no figuring out who we are and there's aspects of us that are very strong and for you family is a very strong aspect of your identity what what's the the best thing about being a mom gosh the best thing about being a mom is seeing what your kids do with their lives and their their positions like um i was just thinking about this last night my um, daughter is in drum corps and, she, and it's her first week and you know it's completely different and you know the text messages and the and the questions I get from her and my son are sometimes I think wow they they still think I hang the universe <laughs> you know they're 20 and they're 21 and they still think I have all this power I think it's it's awesome um, <laughs> that they still come to me like you got to fix this you know or how do I fix this or you know how does this work or um why is this horrible why is this great why is this awesome um you know I I love that I think that's one thing I love my kids are all talented in their own ways and they're also talented a lot in the same ways and I love seeing them grow um my middle daughter is a fantastic artist and you know, she gets that from my mom. My mom was a great artist. Um, she's just a, a, they took it to a whole other level, and I love that because I love seeing my own family and my kids um, 
you know, it's funny. I think we always say, oh, you get that from your dad. Oh, you get that from your mom. And I, you know, we do that. And I love because when I look at my kids, I'm like, oh, yeah, you didn't get that from me. And you got that from your grandma, you know, or your grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) It's like so much more extended than just me and my husband. However, they are very much like us, me and my husband. That is a beautiful thing, kids coming into their own. Um, and you've come into your own in many ways. Uh, did, you know, I know your, your mother passed away two years ago. Um, she passed away from cancer. Do you mind telling our listeners what kind of cancer? Sure. My mom had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and she actually had two different kinds. So when you, when you talk about cancer and you say breast cancer are um, stomach cancer, there's always like a sub-cancer within that. So my right. mom had non-Hopkins lymphoma, and the first one she had was an aggressive B-cell um, cancer. Um, those are large cells, and they are within your lymph nodes. Um, Non-Hopkins is, is in your lymph nodes type of cancer. It's also a sister cancer to leukemia. So they're okay. blood cancers. Um, so the first one she got in, she got diagnosed in December of 98. And I just noticed because my daughter was turning one in February and my mom was so scared that she hadn't seen her yet. I lived in, we're from Denver, Colorado, but my mom had moved to Anchorage, Alaska when I was eight. I lived with there, up there for a little bit for her and came back home to Denver. So I was currently in Denver and I had had first granddaughter my mom was scared that she wasn't going to see her before she passed away so um it was december of 98 and we got the diagnosis and she did a um, chemo radiation and she actually came and saw my daughter between chemo treatments for her first birthday in which i almost lost her because she got a staph infection but you know we, we, we went through it and then she was in remission for 13, 14 years, um, and she got very sick, and they found a whole bunch of, well, the lymph nodes were all swollen, but she had these balls in her lungs, um, and it was, it could either be one or two things. It could be this one disease that they see in your lungs, and I can't think of its name, but it's pretty common, and it's easy. It goes away, or it could be her cancer, and her oncologist got the – he was like a standby on her team because they weren't sure her cancer was back. And I'll never forget the phone call. He's 66, about to retire. He helped her through her first cancer. And he's just telling me like I'm kind of like I'm a teenager, and he's like, you need to come see your mom because it is cancer. And it's a cancer um, – Gosh, the name just disappeared out of my head. But it was a very aggressive cancer, and this one could not be curable. The most they could they could wish for was she would. Uh, now it's going to bug me. I can't think of the name. Um, <laughs> go into remission. It's like, oh, I'm such a bad daughter. I can't remember the name of the cancer, but that, that's it was really weird cancer again with an F. And I mean, it's like you have to think really hard to say it right. Um, but he just told me I had to come see my mom. He's like, you need to come see your mom because we can't cure this one. We can maybe get her in remission. But she had gotten 
hep C from a blood transfusion her first time around, and those dormant in her system, they were going to have to treat it as if it wasn't dormant before they could treat the cancer. And her left lung was gone, so she only had her right lung um, because it had attacked her lungs. And he believes that this cancer was actually dormant in her cells the first time around, um, but never activated. So she had non-Hodgkin's, two different types of long Hodgkin's disease, which is funny because my grandmother, her mom, had non-Hodgkin's, almost similar to my mom, and she died from it also. So So your um, grandmother passed away from it, and your mother? Yes, they did. So are you are you worried at all? I am and I'm not. I'm I you know get checked. I'm pretty healthy. Uh, my grandma and my mom each had side health issues um, that I don't have. Um, my grandma had diabetes really bad um, and some other health issues. Not that they were tied to the cancer, but um, I believe that I'm going to live longer than the two of them. My mother was 42 when my grandma passed away, and I was 42 when she passed away. Mm. So my kids have all decided, since I have four of them, that I'm going to live a long life because the youngest is only 12. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she's at least 42, right? Right. So, you know, they're like, you know, I got, I got time. Um, and I believe that, that you know, when, when she hits 42, I will still be here with them. Um, I try not to live with that fear. Um, you know, to know me and how I am, um, I have lost, of my immediate family, the only, I've lost a child, I've lost an aunt, I've lost an uncle, I've lost both my parents um, and my grandparents who raised me. I've, I have one grandmother who is still alive and a couple of uncles and a great uncle. I have not lost a spouse or a sibling. So when you look at that and you look at, most people don't you ever lose a relative their whole life or a distant relative maybe, but your immediate family, um, I've gone and I'm still here. I'm still breathing and I'm still moving forward. So I kind of, it was losing my mother has been the hardest thing besides losing my child I have ever lived through and continue to live through. I kind of felt because I lost my son and my grandparents who raised me and my dad that my mom was off limits and I would be able to keep her. So when I lost my mom, it was very devastating. Um, I knew the the treatments weren't going well and the hep C treatment killed every cell in her body. So by the time they went to treat her for the cancer, there was nothing left to fight she had no, her body no longer would produce white blood cells because of all the chemicals she was, they were pumping in her. So I knew logically we were going to lose this fight, but emotionally I just kind of felt she was off limits, that I would get her for years and years because I had lost so many people who were near and dear and found and informed me that, I would be able to keep her. Mm. Kind of like this deal I have with God, but <laughs> that I didn't really have with him, but I felt that we were on the same communication level on this. And 
<laughs> do you I was think, able to keep her. Do you think that, um, I mean, you're never ready to lose a parent or someone you love. I mean, no matter how ready you are, no matter how prepared, no matter how well you're in hospice, no matter how everything, no matter how many ducks you have in a row, when someone dies, mm-hmm. they, it, it, it's a piece of you that's taken with, with, you, with them. Right. But even with that, do you think that your mom kind of knew you were ready, so she was ready to let you spread your I'm, wings in a different way? I, I believe so. She came to me the night before she died. I was sick, and so actually sitting in the exact same position I am right now, sitting in my bed, <laughs> and I was sick for like a week. Um, and she always seemed to know when I was sick and called. So the night before she died, um, I dreamt about her. You know, she came and she, we were talking and we were having a good time and she wasn't sick. Um, she had her hair back and, you know, it was just her and I and we were just having a conversation. Like nothing, nothing was there to threaten to take her away. It's just a great conversation. She told me she loved me and she always told me, what a great mom I was and how proud of me she was because um, growing up, my mother had a drug addiction and so my grandparents raised me um, until I was about nine and I went up to Alaska and lived with her and she was still struggling with drugs, but we, we fought through our relationship. It wasn't a given relationship. We really had to fight through a lot of ugliness for our relationship. And so when I had kids and she always would tell me what a great mom I was, that she was happy that I could be the mom that I was um, to my kids. She would say, you know, she wished she was that way with me, but, you know, we all walk our own path. Um, So she, in the dream, she told me again and how proud she was of each of the kids and she went through each kid and the things she was proud of with them and just, we ended with she loved me and then I woke up the next morning and I was still sick but you know it was a great dream and I was watching this tv show on my phone and on the top of it it showed a phone call coming in on my mom's cell phone and I was like yep she knows I'm not feeling well and I answered hey mom how did you know I'm sick and it was my stepdad and the minute I heard his voice I knew my mom was gone my oldest son was home and I just kept screaming, and he didn't know what to do. He never came upstairs. I don't think he ever heard me scream like that before. Um, and I kept telling my stepdad, don't you say it. Don't you say it. Don't you tell me my mom is dead. Don't you say it. I mean, and he was trying so hard to just get the words out. And I was like, don't you dare say it. I promise you I'll hurt you. Don't you say it. Don't you say those words. Do you think? Uh, go ahead. Do you, do you think that when you face? It sounds like you faced a lot of storms in your life, a lot of different things. Do you think that those storms, you know, having you know a mom, a relationship with your mom that you had to fight for, having a mom who faced cancer one and then she faced it again, and and I I I, I dare not use the word loss because you know I don't see it as a loss. Sometimes it's more of a 
transition, but to not win. Let's go with that. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> to face these things, do you think that the, all these storms have shaped and gone into helping make you a better mother? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, definitely. Um, the loss of my son really helped shape me to be the mom that I am. Like, there is no sacrifice for these kids. Like, if they have a show, I'm there. Like, it was so funny because my husband told me, you know, I used to get mad at you because you would take time off work to go see the kids. And, oh, for traveling, we're traveling, you know. But he goes, I get it. I get it now how much it means to them, how much it means to them. I, I didn't want my kids to grow up and be like, mom was never there. Like, you know, I go to shows and there are kids, adults, young college kids, young adults who their parents have never been to a show. They've been doing this for years, never been to a competition, never uh, been there. And I can't even imagine that. Um, My mom wasn't there. My grandma was there. I mean, my mom, and then I went from my grandparents being there every day to moving to Alaska and my mom hardly there. There's a huge difference. And, you know, I may go overboard and my kids may get tired of me, but they can say I'm there, and it's definitely shaped the mom that I am. Um, I work Bronco games and rapid games like last night, and sometimes I can't walk to my car. It takes me 20 minutes to walk to my car because my feet hurt so much. But <laughs> my kids get to do what they want to do. I mean, we're talking dues are $2,000. Um, my kids' drum corps dues are $3,000 each. And wow. they work and, you know, they 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 do a lot. You know, they, they fundraise and everything, but they only get this once. You only get to be your teenage years and your young adult years one time. And when yeah. it's gone, it's gone. I, I can um, say... And, I, I can say, see, hearing you talk about it, you know, being someone who never had that kind of parent, I, mm-hmm. you know, it's a blessing to hear someone is that kind of parent. So thank, thank you. You, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's hard, but I think the biggest thing that made me feel good was my having my husband just acknowledge that. Um, like I never, I never got it. He goes, I get it now, though. I get it. Like he's an overall truck driver, and they. His boss will try to get him alone to go see my son perform and now to go see my daughter perform. So he got to see Javante do um, drum corps in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma last year, and Javante then had no idea that he was coming. And Melvin just happened to sit right next to the 50 in um, the center, excuse me, of the field, and Javante looked up and there was his dad. <laughs> Nothing takes that. Feeling, you know, you love it. Oh my gosh, I'm performing for my dad. You know, um, and so this is his last year. He ages out this year, and Taya gets these next two years. Um, and then my daughter Cleo will be doing drum corps next year. Um, but they've all competed in Winter Guard. From let's see, my youngest is 12. She started when she was five. So they've been doing it. We've been doing it for nine years, but. It does, regardless of what sport it is, I would probably be doing the same thing. When my son did football, I was team mom. Um, you know, we, we just do those things. Yeah. So, 
As it, a, it is, though. <laughs> as, as a mom, you know, as your kids were growing up and, and you had a, a tenuous relationship with your mom that you, you battled to have be strong enough for you to not want her to, you know, move on to her next phase of existence. Um, after she, she did move on, were there times where you picked up the phone to call her for advice, for thoughts? You know, how, how did the, the, the separation in the metaphysical world, because, you know, I do believe that when someone dies, they're not really gone. They're with us in a different way, but they're not with us mm-hmm. in the physical world. How did that change your everyday life from one day to the next? Oh, man, I called my mom for everything. Like, when I was pregnant with my daughter, Taya, I had a craving for green chili. And so she gave me the recipe, and I made green chili, and I literally ate it for four days straight. And then I called her, and I'm, like, crying. I'm, like, oh, my gosh, I'm hurting. I have all this gas. And she goes, well, what have you been eating? I'm, like, I've been eating the chili. She goes, well, no no wonder. You are gassy. You've been eating chili, green chili for the last four days. You know, she thought it was hilarious. When my – I have a ton of curly hair, um, and it's – like I used to sit on it when I was younger. And so my mom um, is, we're Mexican, I'm a Mexican, Italian, and black. My mom was Mexican and Italian. And my mom was, wanted to make sure that she could do my hair right. So she went to cosmetology school and learned to be a beautician and knocked it out the park. Mm. So hair is a really big thing with us. And so here I had a grand, a daughter and, you know, she was born with, you know, she had some hair. You know, mom's like, it'll grow in. And then she lost it all. Like, she was two months old. And she lost all her hair. And I'm like, how can I have a bald daughter? You know, and I would call my mom and cry. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she thought it was the most hilarious thing in the world. And I don't understand why my daughter is bald. What did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. Yes, I did, mom. She's bald. You know, and she would crack up and, um, my son Javante, when I nursed him, he he um, ended up losing weight, and so we ended up having to put him on like a pediasure when he was little, because he couldn't maintain anything, and they had to take blood draws. And I'm like, they're killing my baby's mom. No, they're not. Yes, they are. They have to go here to get blood out of his artery because you know he's a baby, and you know she was a great support for that. I think I probably cracked her up, but she was a great support for me for that because I would call her because you know, irregardless of how our relationship was, she was my mom. You know, she was still mom. She may not know, couldn't figure it out, couldn't remember, but she was still my mom. So yeah, I called her for everything. You know, and. <laughs> anything and we would try to figure it out you know long distance and um but we tried to make it work and it's just like mom you know trying to get her to figure out her iphone over the phone was just hilarious because (laughs) she was not techie so you know she would get so happy like when she figured out how to video text it was on you know but he would get frustrated, like, Mom, hit that button. What button? The one right in front. Mom, you got to hit. Mom, hit the button. <laughs> no, you didn't hit the button, Mom. You didn't hit the button. You know, and going towards the last probably ones, I, I started turning that over to my kids. And I'm like, okay, y'all think I'm joking about Grandma. Here you go. And they called her Nana. So, you know, you think I'm joking about Nana. You do it. And they would come back, Mom, I don't understand why she doesn't get it. I'm like, I keep telling you, it's not me. So, you know, 
she and she would come up with goofy things. She never got my friends' names right. She always renamed them. Um, and it's funny because I rename all my kids as friends. Or, What's her name? Like, really? That's her name? Oh, okay. Well, you know, that girl, that girl that you brought over, you know, and those are the things that my mom used to do. It used to drive me crazy. But this is what I do. Um, <laughs> I can't help it. And it's, it's, it's kind of hilarious, but it's exactly. <laughs> Even though you didn't have a traditional relationship with your mom, do you think that you really are in many ways – like her as a parent? I mean, I know you said you do the same uh, thing with your friend, your kids' friends where you change their names to make it easier, but in general, in other areas, I know we all, we all, there's always that fear, oh, I don't want to become my mother or my father, but do you find any comfort or <laughs> sadness, whatever way you want to go with it, <laughs> in, in the reality that in some ways you've become some of the characteristics of your mother? I think yes. Um, I think I found how much I was like my mom after my mom died. So growing up mixed, um, I never had people tell me to look like my mom. Like they would, you know, say, oh, yeah, I can see Karen. But, um, you know, we lived in a Hispanic neighborhood, and um, no one really – I never got that. And, you know, I never got, oh, you look just like your mom type thing because I think one, they were scared to say it because, you know, I was a little tanner than my mom, and – you know, people couldn't see it. But the older I got, like my cousin, um, Gia would tell me all the time, oh, my gosh, you should look just like your mom in that picture. And I was like, uh-huh, yeah, you know, your family. You, that's what you're supposed to say. Um, but when she died, and people were like, oh, my gosh, Keisha, you look just like your mom. And I would look in the mirror, and when I saw it, like, you know, like, where did you come from? I, I saw it. And it, it meant a lot to me that I saw my mom in me, like I physically saw my mom in me, you know, we're clumsy as all get out. And I knew I got that from my mom and my grandma and there's mannerisms I have for my mom and my grandma, but to look and see that's Karen, that's Karen looking at me, you know, that that's my mom. I can't tell you the feeling of seeing her in me. I didn't growing up. Um, I, I think that's important. Became, oh, go ahead. Oh, it just became harder because I missed her because I couldn't call her and say, "Hey, I finally see you in me." Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, even though she always did. I, I I think she's smiling somewhere, you know, happy that you have, and I and I think that's one of the most important things to owning our identities is seeing where we came from, good and bad, and and capturing that when you look in the mirror and being able to say, I don't like that about me, but I know where I got it. Oh, I love that about me, but and I know where I got, you know, whatever it is, yeah. you know. Um, emotional, physical, the whole, the whole gamut, because it's all part of who we are, and it's, and it's part of our filling in the blanks of our life is, is connecting with that. All right, our time oh, is yeah. coming, getting, and getting close to an end. Um, but as someone who has lost a parent, uh, you're not, you know, a kid, but you're not quite old either. You know, you're not quite at the age mm-hmm. where you think, oh, my parents are going to go. As someone who has faced that, what kind of thoughts or advice do you have for 
anybody who is facing loss, who's, face, who's in the middle of the storm or hasn't even imagined the storm will come, you know, this storm that is, you know, well, any storm. It doesn't even matter if it's cancer, but um, what kind of advice or thoughts do you have for them? You know, I more than anything is just kind to let the feelings come, like own your feelings. Um, when my mom died, I was in a fog for probably the first year. Um, the, the immediate first six weeks, I couldn't remember if I paid the bill or not. Like, seriously, I couldn't. I would look at my husband like, I don't know if I paid it. Like, I think I paid it. But I don't know if I paid it. Like I, it was sometimes the simple things were hard, and it's okay. It's okay to say I'm still grieving. Um, I think we live in a society where it's rushed. Like, okay, your mom's been gone two months now. You're good now. No, it's not. It's been two years, and I'm still not good. Um, I still ha- I have panic attacks, and so I would tell people it's okay to own those feelings. It's all right, and it's normal. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, I just read something that grief, the strongest thing about grief is it's love that you have no one to give to. So that love that you have for that person, that person's not there no more for you to show that love to. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it so hard. And I had never even thought of that. Like, literally, after everyone I have lost, I have not even thought of that. Um, And it's okay to not be okay is okay to hurt it's okay to be angry it's okay to be mad it's okay to enjoy life it's okay okay to enjoy those great moments um you know my mother um my daughter turned 18 on the 16th of february my mother died on the 19th of february and my mom's birthday was seven days later on the 26th of february the following year I was devastated, but my daughter's birthday was on the 19th, of, was going to turn 19 on the 16th of February, and I had to be happy that I had my daughter for 19 years, even though three days later I was going to be devastated that my mom was gone for a year. You have to be able to enjoy those good times, and it's okay to hurt through them. It's even okay to pretend that you're okay for those who love you and to know that you got to keep moving forward and one thing i've learned um to is and, and tell me if this is wrong from your experience but that grief is not linear it's not it doesn't have a timeline you know something could happen yeah. 30 years ago and you for 20 years you seem fine you're making you're making it through, you're doing everything great, and then something will happen and you just can't function for days because it just all mm-hmm. comes rushing back and it's just overwhelming the grief. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, my son has been gone for 26 years and there are still moments that something will do and I will be frozen like he just passed away and cannot move. Um, and it's okay. I mean, I'm still here. And that's the thing is I'm still here. So sometimes you feel like you can't move, like you're not going to make it to that next second. And wow, you know what? That next second just came and you're still here. And if you have to take it second by second, then you do it. Sometimes it's not hour by hour or minute by minute. It's literally by the seconds. And that's all right because you're still going to make it through that second. Um, and it's, it is hard. There are, 
uh, my aunt Carrie looks just like my grandma, and she talks just like her. And my grandma, she was adopted. My grandma gave her up for adoption. My grandma had nothing to do with raising her, but I will talk to her, and she will she will say the same things that my grandma did, and that's okay because it's like you know what. I can still feel her. So it's okay to find those moments in other people. And they don't have to know, or you could tell them. But you hold on to whatever you need to hold on to for that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, if you need to be that advocate for your parent in whatever situation that they're in health-wise, then you be that advocate. It's okay to piss people off. I did not mind pissing people off to make sure my mom was taken care of. Didn't bug me at all. Because um, she was my mom, and yes, I'm in Denver, but my mother is up there. We sign all the paperwork, and you're going to tell me what what's going on. Um, it's okay to be her advocate. It's okay to be the person that they're mad for, you know, because I'm like, you know what, Mom, just tell them I said no. Mm-mm. No, my daughter said I can't do that treatment. Sorry. And they can be mad at me all day long. It doesn't matter. Um, when my mom got let go from a job, um, she had been 25 years. They didn't even give her early retirement. So right, I wrote the company, the president of that company, and it's a well-known um, store, warehouse store, and let them know, you know, how long she'd been with that company. It was amazing that they reinstated her and retired her and gave her the dignity that she deserved. It's okay to be that mean person for your parents um, or okay. your child. It's okay to do that for yourself too. It is. I, yeah, I struggle with that. But, but you know, <laughs> you know givers, <laughs> givers do struggle for that. And somehow somehow you end up being a giver when you face a lot. You become a stronger giver when you face a lot more storms. And so I, I think yeah. you, you're closer to knowing who you are than you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> I might you know? be, I, I am like forever, you know, it's, I think sometimes the hardest thing for me is sometimes when to hear what my kids say when we're talking or even arguing and well mom you do this and I have to stop and think do I really do that you know do do I really gosh I do do that um (laughs) it's hard for me to be like you're right I do because you know I'll close the door I'm like damn I do do that okay Keisha don't do that anymore (laughs) well it's it's hard for me with them to admit it sometimes. The most important thing in all of this is you do take care of you, don't you? You take time for you. I do. I have started taking more time for me, um, and it's okay. If I cry, if I need to cry, then I do. You know, um, girls' nights out, I've been starting to take those out more with friends and, and just, you know, I have a friend who bought me massages just to take that time to go to use that cart, Keisha. It's there. Use it, you know. So I do. Um, and I'm learning to say no. And no, I'm sorry, can't do that. No, I'm at my limit. Um, can't do that. And that's all right. You know, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with saying no. And I'm okay with taking care of myself. Um, it's still a struggle. And there are times I fail. But I yeah. am. I am. Uh, a much better person than I was. Um, I'm just still trying to figure out how to breathe without my mom. I used to say, when she inhales, I exhale, and that was our thing. Like, that's how we're tied. You know what, Mama? You're here. You're still here because I'm still exhaling. 
And when she died, I felt like I literally couldn't breathe. Like I literally felt I couldn't breathe because there was no one inhaling for me to exhale. And so I'm learning to inhale from myself so I can exhale again. And I think, now I, it, it's hard. I, I think you're doing a. I think you're doing an okay job at it. I don't think you're failing. I don't think you're having. I think you're taking it one step at a time, and that's the best lesson anybody could get. That it's not about anybody else's timetable. It's about your own, and taking the moments you need, and the massages, and and you know the. If you feel like watching a TV show and closing your door and crying while you do it, do it. It's all good. Yeah. 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 And that's pretty much where I'm at. It's it's okay. So. And you made it hard. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying you made it through talking about your mom for for 40 minutes, 30 minutes. You did. So thank you. you, Because I was a little scared. I was like, oh gosh, I'm just going to cry through the whole thing and it's going to be terrible. No, I think it was wonderful. And and it's been very wonderful hearing about the storms you faced and how you've come out on the other side to be a strong, a strong and beautiful mother who takes care of her own while learning to take care of yourself. Because that's, you know, we, we always forget to take care of ourselves, And I think that that's the best thing that I hope our, my listeners can take from this is that even through all these storms, you know, our, the first guest on the show came to that conclusion, too, that after facing cancer, you know, she, it was all, when, when she got through it all and she survived it, she's like, you know, I'll still do my career, I'll still do other things, but my daughter is my priority. And if anything interferes with that, it doesn't matter. That's my priority. And so she changed her entire life to be more centered around her daughter. Not that it wasn't centered around her daughter beforehand, Mm -hmm. but she learned that there are priorities in life. And I think think you, you, you reiterate that lesson in a different way. So thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and I um, I hope to keep in touch with you and talk to you again and watch your progress and, li- and follow your progress as you continue to grow into the beautiful you that you're growing into, <laughs> continuing well, to grow you. into. <laughs> um, uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and listeners, hang out for just a minute. We're going to take a break, and I'll be right back. Questions about identity? Send them. The Identity Guru at AskTheExpert at TheIdentityGuru.net. Maybe, just maybe, we'll answer the question on the air. Are you overwhelmed before you even start your day? Worse yet, is this a pattern? If you're ready to change, then stop right now and go to AwesomeAngie.com and learn how you can start your day focused and end your day feeling accomplished. Go to AwesomeAngie.com and give yourself the gift of focus. Go to AwesomeAngie.com and get focused today because she honors the awesomeness in you. Welcome back. And wow, weren't those two interviews just powerful? That's the word I want to use, powerful. It gives me hope and it gives me joy to talk with women who are facing or have faced great storms in their lives 
It makes things seem easier. It makes life seem like there's a lot out there. And even if your life and your things, your storms are raging so badly that you can't see the end, you cannot see the rainbow for the clouds, it's okay. All of that's okay. <laughs> it's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel whatever you want to feel as long as you're open about it. That's what I think it should be. Be open about it. Don't be afraid to say that you're struggling to anyone. You never know what kind of assistance, what, what kind of umbrella somebody might provide for you along the way. Right now, my umbrella that I want to provide to you is a song. It's called Rainbow After the Storm. And it was sung by Valerie Jean, but it was written by Michelle McCammond and Malad Abid, or excuse me, Abide, Malad Abide. So Michelle and Malad wrote this song and had Valerie record it, being that she's a cancer survivor. And it, it is specifically about surviving cancer, but... It is not just about that storm. It can be about so many other storms. So take a listen and I'll look forward to sharing our next episode with you. Until next time, enjoy.
after the storm. 